Workers at Vancouver Coastal Health condemned the way in which people were pushed off East Hastings. A new report says that Canada will need to replace 30,000 farming jobs and the main solution pushed is the temporary foreign worker program. Fighting in Sudan has killed nearly 100 people and the U.S. has said that it has killed top ISIS leadership in Syria. Good morning. It's Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. There's been more fallout from the way that the city of Vancouver cleared people off of East Hastings Street on April 5th. More than 40 and as many as 67 workers with Vancouver Coastal Health have signed an open letter denouncing the way in which people were cleared from their tents. The Vancouver Sun's Sarah Grachowski quoted a few parts of their letter. Quote, some days police have sectioned off parts of the community, creating barriers for people to access pharmacies, overdose prevention sites and other important services. Services that are accessible have been running beyond capacity as displaced peoples search for somewhere to go, unquote. The workers were told that if they needed to get to people who were between Carroll and Main Streets, Carroll, Carroll, sorry, I'm not from Vancouver, between Carroll and Main Streets, that they would have to go alongside a police escort and have their Vancouver Coastal Health ID with them at all times. Vancouver Coastal Health Management has said that there was, quote, no significant disruption, unquote, to the services delivered and that there were, quote, additional health services, unquote, on standby in the aftermath of clearing the camp. But the workers have said that what they witnessed was, quote, inhumane and cruel. In addition to this letter, there's also been a letter signed by 750 academics from 58 institutions calling on the city of Vancouver to reverse course on encampment evictions. The letter says, quote, the evidence is clear. The evictions are being carried out to invisibilize unhoused people. This practice is especially egregious given that nearly half of the unhoused population is indigenous. This is colonization in practice said Dr. Nicholas Blomley, Professor of Geography at Simon Fraser University. Now to Saskatchewan, where a report about the future of farming in that province warns that there will be 24,000 empty jobs if no one replaces the retirement bulge that will hit by 2033. A new report from the world's biggest investor into fossil fuels, the Royal Bank of Canada, estimates that 40% of farmers are expected to retire in the next 10 years. The findings, as reported by CBC, does not suggest doing things like making farmers cooperatives to help farmers pay the costs of modernization or come up with Canadian pricing that protects farmers from the shocks of international markets. Instead, they reach to what the ruling class in this country has always reached to, even since before Canada was a country. We need immigrants to fill these jobs. And sure, maybe this is viable for many immigrants. CBC's Sam Sampson talked with Rehan Khan, a farmer near Yorkton, Saskatchewan, who left Pakistan in 2018. He has paid $223,000 to farm his land since he bought it back in 2021, and since land prices have been going up. Now, Khan wasn't just a random who decided to start his hand in farming. He had worked in agriculture in Pakistan, making the transition to having his own farm pretty natural. But let's be serious. There are also Canadians who could be enticed to farm as well, but they need 
supports? Or what about land back and actually restoring ownership and control of these lands to the Indigenous communities that have claim over them? We cannot keep handing this entire industry over to market forces while leaving farmers in precarious and risky situations. They cannot be at the whims of climate change, global markets, or whether or not they can afford massive investments into industrial upgrades on their own. So while, sure, immigrants might be interested in farming here, the obsession with always seeking farm labor abroad is literally what has created the temporary foreign worker program. It's also the justification for allowing someone to take all the risk and receive very little supports to make it work. Interestingly, the Royal Bank suggests that people who farm all year round in Canada and who come through the Temporary Foreign Worker Program should be given permanent residency. This is something that advocates have called for for a long time. But the racism that plagues the way that government sees the Temporary Foreign Worker Program means that it's unlikely that the government will consider this. A spokesperson for Immigration Minister Sean Fraser said this, quote, "...giving migrants permanent residence is not the solution to labour shortages." These newcomers will only remain in the sector, like other permanent residents and Canadian citizens, if it offers competitive wages, good working conditions, and long-term prospects for themselves and their families, the spokesperson wrote. This is a highly confusing comment because it's not clear whether or not Fraser's office is saying that they also support giving people permanent residency or if they don't, but they do support higher wages, but the higher wages are the responsibility of the industry and not of government. I mean, the way that it is written, it says that they do not support giving people permanent residency, which is weird because they would obviously still benefit from that. And then yes, deal with the working conditions and the wages. Once again, this report demonstrates that this country has absolutely no plan for domestic food security, immigration and settlement or agriculture in general. And its best ideas like importing farmers from other countries are the ones we've tried for more than a century or even worse, are coming from a bank for some reason. Now to Sudan, where at least 97 people have been killed, 365 people have been injured, and thousands of others have been sheltering in place as violence erupted this past weekend. The violence broke out when a pact fell apart between the Sudanese army and a paramilitary group called the Rapid Support Forces. The Rapid Support Forces, or the RSF, was a militia group that was supposed to merge with the Sudanese army and share power in a military council. Sky News interviewed Abdel Fatel al-Burhan, army chief and de facto leader, who said that they planned to defeat the RSF. Al-Burhan leads the military council and General Mohamed Hamdan Delgallo, the leader of the RSF, is the council deputy. The biggest backer of Sudan's armed forces is Egypt and the RSF. Well, they're backed by several countries, including Russia and the UAE, reports Sky News. And finally, to Syria, the United States Central Command has said that it's killed three ISIS leaders, including Abdel Haji Mahmoud Al Haji Ali, a senior leader with ISIS. They carried out a quote unquote unilateral helicopter raid, reports Al Jazeera. Two weeks ago, the U.S. killed Khalid Abd Ahmed Al Jalbouri, another ISIS senior leader. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights has said that the operation occurred 25 kilometers west of Jarablus at the northern border with Turkey. A reminder that Canada is still engaged in Operation Impact, a military operation that is based in Syria and Iraq to defeat ISIS. This operation was extended until March 21st, 2025. Our role there is training Iraqi security forces, and it's been a couple of years since Canada did a sortie. 
And I couldn't finish this morning without shouting out the CBC for making the decision to leave Twitter. They're mad that they got the government-funded label slapped on them, which is, I mean, it's funny. They are government-funded. Like, CBC, own that and be proud. And show people that government-funded public broadcasting is something to be proud of, not something to be mad about. Sandy Nora is coming out later today, and we talk about this. So keep your ears out for that. That episode will drop at some point in the morning. And I don't know. It just seems like such a bizarre decision. You are a corporation worth more than a billion dollars. You employ more than 7,000 workers. And the best you can do to fight someone like Elon Musk or the best you can do to stand up to someone like Pierre Polyever that wants you to be destroyed is to just leave Twitter. I mean, God, folks, come on. Are you new at this? You got to fight because if you don't fight, it looks bad. Anyway, I'm not holding my breath for the CBC to do the right thing. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they will. Those were your headlines for Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Nora, and as I said, Sandy Nora coming at you in a couple of hours.